is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. And tonight's guest is none other than Joe Tizard, former jockey and now assistant trainer to his father, Colin Tizard, at Melbourne Port. Welcome to another edition of In Conversation. And as I've already said, tonight's guest is Joe Tizard. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, Joe. It's, it's great to have you on the show. Um, going to be an interesting one because I tell you what, there's not an awful lot of information about you out on the old internet. When I, I've been trawling all over the place trying to find out stuff about you but it wasn't very much up there at all so i don't know quite why that is you must just keep your head down i guess <laughs> but i mean like for example uh you were born in 1980 is that right no 79 79 oh well i was only a year out then and you yeah you're, yeah you're and you're 41 now Two. 42 Today. yeah again a year out then um so uh and you were you born in uh you know, over at melbourne port or yeovil or or, or locally? Sherborne, I was born actually. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We were living at Millwall at the time, but I was born in Sherborne. Yeah, yeah. And uh, looking at, you know, you, you obviously you brought up in a farming background. Um, how soon did you get involved with a horse? I mean, you know, you, you hear of young children getting put on ponies and this sort of thing. Did you did you go that route? Yeah, there was there was always a pony. An older sister that that had a pony, so there was always ponies at home and. Um, you know, and Dad was always involved in horses and that. So <clears throat> we had, um, we had, there was, you know, there's pictures of of me chucked up on top of a pony before, before I could walk. You know, before yeah. I could remember it really. So there was always a there was always a pony at home. But as you grow, I mean, what memories have you got of horses? I mean, do they sort of always flag up in your mind as they were always there and you always had an interest in them? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's. Um, from like as far back as I can remember, we always there was there was always a dad always had a horse or two, and, and we always you know, I always had a pony. Yeah, you know, and that we went I went all through, you know, hunted all, all the all the way through my childhood, and then all the way through pony club, and um, and then then got quite competitive show jumping in my sort of in my my early teens. Um, uh, but but from from the age of like ten, it was counting down the years till I was going to be able to go point to point. And to be honest, and yeah. you, you know that starts when you're sixteen. Ah, so up up to that point, then it was just a question of sort of following Dad around on his horse and on your pony, and just sort of becoming more and more into the the whole sort of horse racing horse setup. Then basically, 
Yeah, well, I can remember Dad still riding them point to points and things, but then he retired, and there was a blip where horse racing, you know, wasn't wasn't so much part of our lives. But um, but there was always ponies involved, and we we got quite, you know, we we show jumped to 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 a reasonably high level. Um, you know, we did a fish, we we did um BSGA show jumping yeah. with a couple of ponies up to to quite a high level so it was always the ponies and then you know when i was when it was coming into winter where i was going to be 16 to i could point a point we dad went to the sales and bought a couple of cheap horses so that so that we could point the point them for, for me to ride so so looking back at this this this, this show jumping bit fascinates me i mean how, how much do you think show jumping helped in terms of your technique and your ability to be a jockey well, it's just like the show jumping with the with the show jumping, you know, is spotting, being able to see a stride and getting a horse on the right strides and all that, and um, I definitely helped. You know, I had, had two completely different types of pony. One was a real forward going pony that was quite hard, and another one was a was a was a, a a cobby mare, and she used to take a bit more stoking. So it was um, there were two different ponies, but like we did, they both turned out to be really quite good you know we we competed with all the Whitaker children and things like that it was yeah. um it was it definitely helps you know it's, um it wasn't just get on a, get on a pony point and go we, we had to um we, I had to organize horses to jump so that helped seeing a stride as a jockey and did you win much at uh, show jumping yeah we won we won our we won our classes and all that we it's um we we didn't get to like we never won on the on on the big pony stuff, but you know we we managed to to win our classes and you know we used to travel the whole of the southwest every weekend doing it. It was um it was good fun. It's obviously quite a serious occupation at that point in in your life anyway, and of course interesting that the the skeletons have got a background of show jumping, haven't they? Yeah, well the, the um you know we were never in on like in the Skelton's League but we but we but we were we, we did plenty of it when we we're in around the southwest and um and enjoyed it, you know, there's not a lot else you can there wasn't any pony racing or anything like that back then, so yeah. So that was the obvious route for us to go. Right, now it's time for Joe's first musical choice and it's called Give It It All by Tom Grennan. Position to the top. We'll go further than. 
now then and uh you're eligible to go point to point in uh tell me about that i mean how did you how did you get started um did you have instant success or or how did it go yeah not not instant success so we had we had by this time we had three or dad had been off and bought bought two cheap horses at Alaska, the jogger and quality memory and um my, my grandfather he had a homebred horse called called Ben Boy and he said we were going to point to point that. So, um, so yeah, so I, we were sort of ready. And then the first point to point was always the beginning of January and I was, I was 16 and I had my first ride at Lark Hill on, I don't know, it was like the first Saturday in January that year. Um, i never forget, like, it felt like they went, I'd never been so fast in all my life. It's, um, <laughs> you know, it's a three-mile point to point in... You know, I could have done that with my eyes closed later on, but I can remember now how fast it felt like they were going. And um, I finished fifth in it on on quality memory, and um, you know, I had my first sort of taste of it. Loved it. I mean, jumping at that sort of speed and that it was um, it was unreal. So it was it um, it was like it was like nothing you could ever imagine. Though you know, however fast and that you tried to go at home mm. when you got in a race, and there was. A dozen or so runners. It was um, it was nothing quite like it. And I actually probably sat a little bit far out on my ground and then stayed on and finished fifth. But had my first taste of it and loved it. Yeah. And uh, how long did it take you to get your first win? I think my first win was on like my fifth ride or something like that. Yeah. And... Um, and then that day I rode a double when I had my first win. I had two winners that day. I went. We went down to um, 
to Cliss St. Mary and, and, had a, and had a double down there. So um, then then the sort of the wheels were turning and I was, um, you know, I think I had eight, eight winners on my, eight winners point to point in my first season and, and one in a hunted chase as well. And, um, you know, I was leading novice rider in the country and, um, yeah, it was also all, all kicked off from there. So was there a sort of, you know, eureka moment when a bell went and you sort of thought, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this, I, I can do this, I can go, you know, I can go places. Did that sort of moment occur or did it just generally catch up with you? Well, it was, you know, I, I'd, everybody been talking about me going pointing for for some time and, um, you know, it's lucky that Dad got the right horses and and. and and I got put in the right place, and then so so when I when I won the hunter chase on on one of ours, the jogger Paul Nichols came up and offered offered me a job to go there as a stable amateur at the age of sixteen, um, and I started down there at, on the first of August, and um, and Dad sort of said, well, he doesn't need to he doesn't need to come down here and muck out. He goes, I've got enough work for him and that back here at home on the farm and things. So yeah, um, but he can come down three days a week and ride out and ride for you as an amateur, and, and that's um. That's sort of how it how it started. Um, you know, I I was then in a in one of the most up and coming yards with Nichols and um, bringing all the way, the way he did it back home for our point to pointers. He he had the link up with with the barber, so I then started riding out for Richard Barber every Wednesday morning and um, started riding his five year old maiden pointers there, and it just went from from one thing to another. Yeah. Well, because I, I I know the bar. Well, I used to know Richard before he sadly passed away, and um, of course I know Jeremy Barber quite well. Who's a good mate of mine. Talking of cricket, which I was just—that's where Jeremy Barber and I, who sort of first met. Is it your cousin that used to play cricket? Yeah, James used to be a fairly handy cricketer. Yeah. Yeah, because he played. For, he played for North Perrot. That's right. Yeah, and he played for North Perrot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can quite remember. A sharp bowler, James was. Yeah, no, he was he was a good cricketer. I, I don't know quite why we lost him, but he he obviously went on to bigger and better things. I think I don't know, but um, is he still playing cricket now? Well, he moved. No, not really. He moved to Dubai for for eight years, and then um, that's probably why you lost him. Yeah, uh, must have or been. He went away to uni, perhaps. Or something. But he he play he doesn't play, he doesn't play anymore. But um, but he was he was a handy bowler for a while, yeah. his time, wasn't he? No, he was. Yeah, no, he was a good lad. I more music now, and this time we've got "Higher Love" by Kygo.
one was called Higher Love by Kygo. So there you are. How old would you have been at, at Paul Nichols then? 17, 18? I started there when I was, yeah, started there when I was 16 and then, and then worked there, well, I, I worked there for forever, like for, for 10 years then, but, um, or rode out there at most days for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so then I had a couple of seasons had three seasons point to point in, so a couple more seasons as an amateur at pools where I rode, you know, I was riding 30 winners under rules in, in the same point to point in for, for a couple of seasons. And then I won the Fox Hunters for for Richard Barber at Cheltenham. And then that, that spring, Paul offered me the chance to turn professional. And, um, you know, by that time I'd, I'd ridden... I was already a five-pound claimer, and um, you know I'd, I'd I'd ridden a lot of winners. You know I'd ridden a lot of winners pointing, and and I think I'd ridden forty-five, fifty winners um, under rules as well. So um, so yeah, I went went straight into it. Well, I've got a list here that courtesy of the Racing Post. Um, nineteen eighty-nine, sorry, nineteen ninety-eight, ninety-nine. You had ninety-one winners. Which presumably yes, most that, of those were for Paul uh, for um, Paul Nichols then, and you had total earnings of seven hundred and seven thousand. So, not a bad season, I wouldn't have thought. No, it was a good season. It was a great season. You know, I turned professional and then sort of fell into the job. Ended up riding riding a a lot of Paul's horses and um, like it all, it all flew. I was. Um, you know, I became champion conditional that that first year, and I rode, rode winners every Saturday on the big stage, and 
Cheltenham Fest, I rode Paul, his first Cheltenham Festival winner on Flagship Barales, and, you know, it was absolutely flying along. Was that his first winner at Cheltenham, was it? It was his first festival winner, yeah. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. That's, well, that's quite a feather in your cap for a start, isn't it? For, well, for... yeah, and it was like, it, it was, it, that, he had three that week, you know, his cool neck won the champion chase, and Seymour Business rode, won the Cold Cup that week but flagship was the first one and um you know things were flying we we're having a great time of it well it kept going because i see the, the next the next season you won 63 winners and 645,378 pound uh and then the following year 493,700 so i mean you know you were very consistent and and when riding winners all along but i suppose to a large degree that depends on what mr nichols comes up with for you to ride well, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was. Um, they were mainly like main. Main of the winners were come from Paul, but you know, I had an agent, Dave Roberts, who was, who was getting me plenty of outside, outside winners as well. And um, you know, I was, I was having a good time of it. As simple as that. You know, I was, I was, traveling the country, riding, riding six days a week, and 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 making a good living out of being a jockey. Living the dream, basically. How many how many horses were you riding for father? Well, at that time, dad was just starting to pick up. So, so when I turned professional, I think we'd grown our point to point yard to about between twelve and fifteen horses, and then I turned professional, and dad sort of did one season point to point in trying to search for jockeys and that, and he basically said, "Well, it's no fun. I was doing it for for me to ride." Um, and so he decided to get a permit, and then, um, you know, once he got his permit, there was there were other owners' horses in the yard that were, um, you know, that they, they were, you know, you've seen our horses win under rules, and they were like, well, our, our horse could beat that at a point to point. Yeah. We could have a go under rules and sort of instead of trying to compete for a hundred, hundred and fifty quid, let's have a go for, for for a proper under rules race. So. Um, hmm. It just kind of grew from there. So dad was, dad was was starting to get more under rules as, as 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 I was getting busier under rules. So I mean, going going up this list that I'm looking at. I mean, if we if we sort of take a giant step up to say 2010, by by this stage, how far would uh, would father have got in terms of uh, you know number of horses in training that sort of thing? Uh, by then, by then he would have been up to fifty. Sorry? Probably be up to fifty by then, Dad would have been by two thousand and ten. Yeah. Um you know, it's um it grew every year, got bigger and bigger and then um you know, then we got to well yeah, it probably it might be slightly slightly more than that then. when we got to sort of certainly two two thousand and fifteen he was he was up to sort of seventy five 80 and then Alan Pop's horses arrived and that sort of bumped us up another notch and a few other big big owners that were prepared to buy one or two and, and then it went over the 100. So looking back at all your winners, I mean all those, I, I haven't counted them all up but there's one hell of a lot of them here, what would you say was the, uh, well first of all what would you say was the best horse you ever rode at that point until you, until you did finally hang up your boots? Uh, I was lucky to ride some some real good horses. You know, I managed, I rode I rode and won on Seymour Business quite a few times. He um he ended up he was a Gold Cup winner. Um, mm. 
I rode Flagstaff Morales, which won two champion chases in Tingle Creeks and all that. He was he was a very classy horse. You know, I won the article on him. Um, I'd say, I'd say that Q Card was 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 the best horse I rode in my career. Um, you know, had a long association with him, and um, you know, he also changed sort of sort of my future as well because because of the you know i was by the time he came along i was i was i was back riding for ruby walsh was riding all the pools so i was just riding for dad and all the other little connections i had and um he sort of took took the whole business to another level and i was part of helping helping grow helping grow that grow the grow the training yard with him um you know, like he Kukar come about because I used to ride for Bob Bishop, who owned him, for Richard Rowe, and then Bob said, "Would you fancy a horse for me?" And we said, "Yeah, I'd love one." And um, and we went to the sales and we bought Kukar for him. So, yeah. um, so Bob was like, he was one of my owners that I rode for, and and then came on board with the yard as well. All oh, right, right. But um, I mean, it must have been satisfying that Kukar was. Uh, a horse that your father trained as well, and then you know you he, he were riding it to to big race wins. I mean that must have been a real a real buzz, I should think, wouldn't it? That's huge, isn't it? Just to do it for the do it for the family, all all with each other. It's what it's all about, and um, you know, and and it was and Kim was Kim was here as well, working hard on the yard, and it was just a big family affair. So it's um, you know, and then to have a horse that sort of takes you to the next level to to make you competitive in the Against the best of the best is yeah. um, is is brilliant. And I, I managed to find a little bit about you. Um, you you had a second in the King George that uh, you won uh, the uh, Earth Mover was it that was the um, the um, that Cheltenham Centres yeah yeah and then first one yeah um, the Arkle Chase on flagship Uberalis I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, and then also uh, you won the champion bumper in 2010, and the Ryanair Chase in 2013. So, you know, you you've got a, a, a really really good record at, at the Cheltenham Festival. Where, you know, there must be an awful lot of jockeys out there that have have ridden for a long time and never had a winner at all at Cheltenham. So, I mean, that in itself is a is quite an achievement. Yeah, no, it was. Um, you know, I was. I was lucky. I got to ride some good horses. You know, I I rode just over 700 winners, and you know, I had a fantastic career at it. Um, but I also knew when I was when I was 34, I retired. I knew that, you know, I was I was a six foot jockey. You know, I'd have been on. I'd been. My weight was was always hard work. Um, and I knew that it was time to sort of take the take the take retire and take the next step and, and enjoy enjoy. The training side of it—that's what I wanted to do. Not to mention eating. Well, then I could start eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that, that would—you'd never see me anywhere near a horse because I couldn't—I could not eat, and you know I've always had a problem with my weight as well. So I can understand what that must be like. So, Joe, um, what about injuries? Did you get any major injuries whilst you were riding? Yeah, I, uh, I had one major injury. Other than that, I was, I was quite lucky. I did a collarbone little bits and pieces and the odd rim and that but my I had one major injury I broke my back um at Hereford one day which resulted in um you know I had I had uh, I had two vertebrae um fused with a bone fusion off my hip and I had yeah. rods in 
right, so I was basically had rods above and below as well, and I was, yeah, so I was out for 11 months with that, and um, two quite major, to put the rods in and to take them out, and, um, you know, I had a bit, little bit of bruise into the spinal cord and things, so that was, that was my one major one, um, but, you know, like, <laughs> typical jockey, like, as long as you get away with it, never never phased me you know it was a long old it was a long yeah. old time on the sidelines it was long long road long road back to recovery but um you know it never deterred my determination to get back and start riding again and what about what about now is there any sort of after effects now after you know you've retired and you're not riding now or we are riding because you're riding no, now but no? no touch woods like no it's um i don't know if i will do later in life or not but at, at the moment touch wood is fine you know i might get I might get a couple of days a year where I, where I give it a tweak or something, but um, but as a rule, you know, I, I don't even know about it. I'm not very, I haven't quite got as much movement in my back as I used to, so I'm not very good at the, the picking up the cornflake wrapper off the floor game at Christmas. But that's um, <laughs> as far as it gets. But um, so so there you are now. You've made this decision. You've you've um, you've you've retired. So let's hold it there for a minute, and we'll go on to the training side in a sec. More music now, and this time we've got I Predict a Riot by the Kaiser Chiefs.
There we go. That was the Kaiser Chiefs, and I predict a riot. So, what what was the the sort of you know final thought that you came that you're going to retire? What what was it the was it the weight? You know, I say problem, but I mean, was it the fact that you had to fight your weight at a time, or was it just you just felt it was the right time? I mean, a bit like footballers when they say, "Well, it just seemed like the right time." Yeah, no, I just I literally decided one morning. I actually had um, it's a Friday morning. I had two rides booked at Newbury that afternoon. I had six rides booked for the weekend, and um, and I just knew that it was it was it was the right time for for me to stop. You know, it's the right thing for the business. It's the right thing for everything. So um, so I just um, I just decided that Friday morning that I wasn't going to ride, and I stopped there and then. And yeah. you know, it's a massive change for for me my from the age of 18 and through to 34 all i did was drive around the country riding horses but um but i knew that it was the right thing for us to, for me to do and you know i wanted to support dad and get stuck into the training business with him and kim and um and it, we were still milking the cows at the time so you know i, I wasn't retiring with nothing to do i was i yeah, was yeah. i was going straight into um Straight into work anyway, straight uh, into family businesses. I imagine the, the the driving as well must have been a bit of a. I mean, I've experienced it to a degree when I was with Yeovil Town, and you know, having to drive all over the country for games and this similar sort of situation. Yeah, it must have been, you know, quite a strain. And I suppose in those days too, you could you could possibly ride at two meetings in a day. Yeah, I, I once rode at Newton Abbott in the afternoon and Weatherby in the evening. I mean, it's, it's bonkers. You wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was the first race at Newton Abbott and in, in in the last two races at Weatherby. Well, that's a that's a two hundred and fifty mile drive in the middle. It's um, yeah. but um, so so yeah, we were. You know, I used to get share a lot of lists with with jockeys from from David Pipes or from, from Nichols's or yeah. Hobbsies or whatever. We'd always share lifts and we had a lot of fun doing it. But it's um. But it was non-stop, you know, we were clocking up yeah. fifty thousand miles a year in in my own car, let alone when I was when we were sharing lifts. So, yeah. Um, it was a constant drive. We got used to that, and we had a lot of fun doing it. You know, it was basically young men. Yeah. Um, just going off having a lot of fun together. So you didn't have your own helicopter, then? Never quite been in that league. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Well, anyway, you could have suffered in the way that Frankie Dettori did so, and it's not all bad, anyway, is it? I mean, you know, when you when you see that, I mean, that that sort of you know brings you back to earth a little bit, doesn't it? It's all very well having a, an aeroplane, but if it goes and crashes, it's it's not very funny. So um, no, absolutely not. You know, but um, so so you you know, how did the first sort of couple of years go in in terms of training? Well, it was always like it was Dad's baby, but it was, um, but you know, he was he was just glad to get us. It was a little bit like sort of, for the first years trying to sort of trying to find our feet a little bit, you know, because, yeah. because I'd been the jockey and <coughs> um, Dad had done all the training. It was just sort of sussed its sussed itself out to see to see what roles each and every one of us did. But you know that that sort of became more empowering but it's, it was like it wasn't a huge culture shock because I'd been involved in it I'd been riding out here every morning anyway so I'd been involved in it anyway yeah. in the business so it was um, you know and then I, I took I did I took over milking the cows as well for, for not not myself every every day for twice a day but but I was in charge like sort of running the dairy farm as well and just sort of freeing dad up to be at the gallops and 
Yeah. Um, and then it then it all sort of just worked itself out really. And and now obviously um, you know you're you're you know you're very much a part of the whole setup, but um, you obviously you you've had tragedy when you lost Kim. I mean that must have been a devastating blow to the whole operation, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was like, like people perhaps didn't realise Kim 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 did so much work in the yard. You know, she kept the the stables ticking over. It's something Dad and I could concentrate on training the horses and going racing and dealing with the owners. And Kim kept the the whole yard um, working, and she did all of our social media and that. And it wasn't until we lost her that like you realise what she did. And yeah, you know, there wasn't so there there wasn't suddenly time for 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 me to start doing those jobs it was so we, we had to employ somebody to um to do them yeah yeah well it must have been a you know it must have been a huge shock and a, and a, a, a devastating blow and I'm, I'm sure you know you have my sympathies on that score it must have been very difficult so looking at things now um i suppose native river was a was a yard stick in the in the yards um uh, progression um a gold cup winner. I mean, that really puts you on the map, doesn't it? Not just you. I mean, yeah. the yard, you know, and your father. Yeah, father's no, that was huge, hugely. You know, he, um, you know, he, he, Native River came along, and you know, it, it was, it was. Well, Thistlecrack was in front of him actually. You know, so we were lucky. We had, we had Q card, and then Thistlecrack followed Q card through, and then Native River, shortly behind him, and you know, we had all three in the yard at one point, all together, and um, and. You know, they were incredible horses. And then to have a horse that's good enough to go and win a Gold Cup, I mean, you know, there's nothing like it. And, you know, it was, it was, we had a lovely, lovely day. And Mum and Dad and me and Kim, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. We sort of, you know, we'd worked hard for a lot of years to, to get there. And um, and we got the reward. But it was, you know, it was things we dreamt about. Not We never thought we were going to going to be able to train a gold cup winner from here but um we did and it was um well, it was unbelievable and, and whatever happened to thistlecrack because i mean she's is that he's out of training now is he has he retired or what yeah he's, he's he's retired he's now he's he's now a riding horse i mean you know he was he was a really talented horse he just um he's just a bit fragile but you know, he had some. He had some massive days. He won the world hurdle. He won a King George. He, he was a seriously talented horse. He um, had some incredible days. But um, you know they don't last forever. So we're always trying to source the next one. And um, you know that's that's the tricky bit buying the next one. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it is. But I mean, you you've obviously had some success in that score because you've got. Uh, lost in translation at the moment, and you've also got Fiddler on the Roof, who are both two outstanding horses, and um, you know, hopefully, they could possibly go and, and and do it again. Well, absolutely. You know, we've got we've got a good setup, and like Ross Doyle buys all of our horses with us, and um, you know, we, we're lucky that we've got some some big owners that are, that, that are prepared to have a have a go and and, and try and buy these better horses and. Um, you know that's what we've that's what we've done to 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 grow the business and and we get the rewards of it. So we're currently on the search for the next one. And um, at the moment we've got some lovely horses. We've got some lovely youngsters coming through as well. So it's um no, it's, it bodes well. Hmm. Yeah. Um. 
the big breakaway is 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 he another one that uh, could sort of you know scale the heights? Do you think? Yeah, I think definitely. You know, he's just had a bit of a muddly sort of sort of last six months, but he um we've done his wind and he'll be back in sort of February time. And um, I think he's only a young horse. He's only a six year old. I think he I think he will go he will go to the top. I'm sure of it. He's got a lot of ability. Hmm. And one other thing I've noticed too is, as um, obviously as you've developed a, your, your role as assistant trainer with Dad, you seem to be doing a lot more sort of media type work. Is is that down to the the relationship with Coral? So I know are your sponsors or what? Um, well, we have we the part of the deal with Corals is that we we I do like weekly a weekly bit with them. Um, but you have to nowadays. We we've got a girl in the yard now who does lots of video work, sends it to the owners and things. And you know you just got to move move with the times, and you got to move with, with with how things do. So you need to be um, you need to be doing it. Everybody else is doing it, and if you're not, you're you're getting left behind. As simple as that. So yeah. it's all it's all good promotion for the yard, and and you never know what who like what owners are gonna come off the back of it, and and ultimately that's what that's what we're looking for. How much, um, what's the word I'm looking for, studying is necessary to become a fully-fledged trainer or assistant trainer? I mean, I, I gather there are sort of exams or, or courses or whatever you've got to do, a bit like in football? Yeah, there are. So, I'm, so I've done all of mine now because it's going to go into my name um, probably the turn of this season. So, you know, I've done, I've done you have to do three one-week courses, mandatory courses, um, an MVQ level three that um, had to be done. I should have done that. I was younger, but I was too busy riding and um, never had time to do it. So I've had to do that. So yeah, you you have to do like a three week course and and then and then apply for a license and you can be you can be refused. You know, so yeah. it's enough to put people off. Um, so that I think that's what they're looking for is just people that are going to try and go into that business or are taking it seriously, basically because. You know, they don't want people to come in, lose a lot of money, and disappear. You know, it's not a training is not easy, and there's not lots of money to be made out of it unless you can do it successfully. So, um, the day-to-day stuff is 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 easy to easy way to lose money. But yeah. um, if if you can if you get it right and you're successful, it's a great business as well. More music now, and this time we got Mr. Brightside from the Killers.
Mr Brightside there from The Killers. Where do you see yourself in five or ten years' time? Well, I, you know, we, uh, I'm not really, if it, like, it'll be in my name by then, Dad, slowly just stepping, stepping back all the time, so it's like into a bit of semi-retirement. He comes racing when it, when, when we need him to and when it suits, and he's at the gallops every morning, but, you know... It, I wouldn't make any decisions without talking to him, but but it it'll go into my name in probably in May and the turn of the season, and um, that's not going to stop it being a family business. That is just going to be a change of the names and, yeah. and all of our owners and that know that. Um, so in four or five years' time, I'd, you know, I'm not to be a champion trainer. You got to chase numbers. You know, we'd need we'd need to virtually double our number of horses, but um. I want to be competitive on the biggest stages, you know. I want to. I want to make sure that we've got horses in those huge Saturday races. I want to make sure that we're competitive in those those big races. And you know, if you uh, try to try and try and win another Gold Cup and try and get those Cheltenham festivals and, and like I said, win all the all the big all the big stages is is what we're looking for. Yeah, time for the last musical track of Joe's choice, and this one's called Pompeii, and it's by the band called Bastille. <laughs> Yeah. 
drift into the distance that was Bastille and Pompeii I mean how many how many horses I think dad once told me you've got a, about 160 there how does that compare with with Nichols for example I don't think we ever had 160 I think the highest we got to was about 130 but but Paul would train he'd tell you he trains 100 and 160 170 but he'd also have like if one left the yard he'd have one to replace it every time he'd have sort of satellite yards and things that um the pre-breaking yards and that so he'd be he'd be at that number throughout the time he wants his horses in whereas that we're on about 115 at the moment and i think the highest we got to was about 130 yeah. and that is that was when the pots horses were were around unfortunately like alan and, and Anne died and you know they, there's only one or two left but um so but the, but that's all of our horses you know we break everything in ourselves we we do all the work with all of them so so we're definitely a few shy on numbers well look joe thanks very much for talking to us it's it's been really interesting and uh inspiring really because you know to see somebody come from a pony club to to uh you know a fully fledged jockey and winning loads of races and now uh on on the road to uh you know a completely new career really if you like being trainer or assistant trainer uh, it's been great so i can only say thank you very much for joining us best of luck for the future i should be watching from from uh, not afar from from quite close obviously and uh you know it's good it's good to have you on three valleys radio and thanks for all your help and support over the years that we've been going good man no worries so thanks a lot joe This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. No space to in this town. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. Yeah.